Do you realise how incredible that is, that you were one of the very few privileged people to witness the Queen recording her Christmas messages for nearly 10 years? I never realised it until you just said that. <laughs> I've really got a vision of Harry and Will, like little boys, making gingerbread with you. We did, we did lots of baking. They both really enjoyed that, yes. I did see one recording, and I thought the producer was a little bit like, I got the Queen under my control, and he sort of asked her to do some sentence again. Oh no. She said it was a bit mumbly. You know? Oh, you yeah. don't tell the Queen that her sentence is a bit mumbly. The, the house was always beautifully decorated, and the boys would certainly have had a hand in that, and Princess Diana, definitely. Hello and welcome to our first ever episode of the Bright Rural Podcast with me, Emmy. And me, Andrea. In this new podcast with Hello, we'll be talking all things royal with the people who have worked with them and know them best. And so we thought we'd kick things off with a Christmas gift to you all and chat festivities at the palace. In this episode, I headed to Windsor Castle to chat to Royal Collection Trust Curator Catherine Jones. And we speak about festive food with Charles and Diana's former chef, Carolyn Robb. We also sit down with John Stilwell, who photographed the Queen during her iconic Christmas speeches for many years. But first, we're joined by our very own royal editor, Emily Nash. Hi, Emily. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us on the Right Royal Podcast. It's a pleasure. Um, obviously, you have been a royal reporter for over 10 years now. You're the royal editor at Hello, and you've seen so many Christmases. And for us, we think the royal family is such a huge part of our Christmas day. Is that something you'd agree with? Absolutely. And especially for those of us who are writing about them and talking about who's turned out at Sandringham on Christmas morning. Um, it's a huge part. And obviously, the King's speech this year will be the big moment. But I think what I'm always amazed by is how many people go out on their own own Christmas Day to try and catch a glimpse of members of the royal family walking from Sandringham. And it's not an easy place to get to unless you're very local. It's usually really cold, possibly raining, and yet hundreds of people turn out every year and it just shows what a sort of magnetic draw the royal family has for people. I love seeing the royals at Christmas. I, I always turn on my TV. I like to see how they go to church. I like to see who goes. And it's varied during the years. We've had the then Cambridges sometimes used to alternate. What can we expect this year? Well, I think we're going to have a full house this year. I think everyone will want to be there to support the king for the first Christmas without the late queen, of course. It's going to be a very sad time for the family, but I'm sure also filled with a lot of happy memories. And it's a really great opportunity for them all to come together in huge numbers, possibly really since the funeral for the first time. And also Camilla's family, I've, um, I've heard. Yes, reportedly uh, Camilla's children, Tom and Laura, with their own families, will be uh, joining the royal family at Sandringham. And of course, you know, they all know each other pretty well behind the scenes. But I think that really sends out quite a signal um, if we see them walking to church as well on Christmas morning. It really shows how things have changed. So that would be the first time that that's happened? That will be the first time um, if they make the walk to, to church at Sandringham. That will be the first time that's happened in, what, 17 years of yeah. marriage? Uh, so it's a huge moment for them. Normally, uh, the now Queen Consort would spend Christmas Day at Sandringham and then go and spend time with her children and grandchildren afterwards. And this obviously, as we all know, juggling family at Christmas is really tricky. I'm sure she'd be quite relieved. <laughs> She's going to be delighted to finally have everyone under one roof because it's always so tough to, to choose. You always have to kind of choose whether you go to your in-laws or your, your parents. I think I, I'm excited. I know it's a very sad 
occasion for them and for us it'll, it'll be different but I am very very excited yeah and I think you know there's a chance really to look at the next generation coming through I would expect us to see George and Charlotte again there were lots of rumors that Prince Louis might make his debut this year and we had lovely scenes a couple of years back when the children did the walkabout for the first time Charlotte was given this doll um, it was all very festive and beautiful and I think it you know really reflects the kind of ideal scenes of Christmas that we all imagine don't we from movies and things like that obviously this is real I'd be so excited to see Prince Louis I feel like he, he's finally given a chance to come into public again <laughs> well, he's had months to prepare for this moment yeah I mean it could be that the difficult second appearance for Louis he, he peaked so early didn't he at the Jubilee I yeah think people are going to be very much clued into what he's doing this year he's incredible yeah it'll be great to also see the Tindalls will they join I, I would expect the wider family to all be there I mean again we don't know until the day because you always have to allow as well for someone feeling under the weather or tired or I mean I'm just thinking about trying to get my own five-year-old to to do anything yeah (laughs) never mind walk through crowds on Christmas day and, and look happy so you know I think that they certainly always like to announce things very much at the last minute to to play things safe especially when the children are concerned so we know that Charles is gonna keep you know all the traditions in place or at least try to can we expect new things well I think that if there are new things they will come out not immediately because obviously this is a family at the end of the day they are going to do all the things they've done for many years I'm sure like exchanging the silly gift presents opening them on Christmas Eve there'll be the big dinner on Christmas Eve again and then the lovely uh, Norfolk turkey lunch on Christmas Day itself I wonder if it might be slightly less formal um, we know the Queen loved the formality of several outfit changes a day while at Sandringham. And that was something that harked back to her own childhood when she used to celebrate her Christmas there with her parents, uh, George VI and Queen Elizabeth. So that's something that potentially could change. We'll have to wait and see. What's the silly gift exchange? Is that is that actual, like they actually do buy silly presents for each other? That is a thing for the royal family. They have um, little piles of presents for each person laid out on trestle tables in Sandringham. And typically they buy things that are cheap um, and that make people laugh. So it's not about big lavish presents. It's about winding someone up I think in many cases and we know that Kate famously once bought Prince Harry a grow your own girlfriend kit back in the day before he met Meghan that's amazing I love that Meghan actually um I've just been googling really quickly to see what other gifts uh, have been reportedly given here and Meghan apparently gave Prince William a spoon with the words serial killer on it which is it's a fun pun. It's a fun pun. And Princess Anne gave her brother Charles a leather toilet seat. As you do. <laughs> what do you get the king? What do yeah. you get the man who has everything? A leather wasn't, toilet seat. Wasn't there a fish as well? Someone bought like a talking fish. Yes. Apparently, Harry gifted his grandmother a big mouth Billy Bass singing toy. I mean, I love that. I love it. It's like, what do you get? The queen as well. And it's like, yeah, get her a singing fish. That would work. I love that. I might incorporate this tradition to my own family. It's so weird to think of the royal family just ordering gifts like the rest of us. Like, do you think they use Amazon or? I think I would just hope they're having better luck with deliveries than most <laughs> yeah. of us are at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Big one coming up, Emily. King's speech, which should have been recorded already. Yeah, at the time of our recording, I think that's been done. Um, He will have recorded it at Buckingham Palace. And this will be a really poignant moment for him. You know, he's watched his mother do it for 70 years. What do you say? You know, how do you follow on from her? I think it's going to be probably more personal than we've seen in previous years. Although I do think the late Queen's speeches became more 
personal towards the end. But he's really going to want to connect with people this year. And I'm sure there'll be lots of tributes to his mother as he goes through it. Obviously, for the King, it has been a really challenging year. I mean, obviously, his mother passed away, but also with Harry and Meghan. um, Do you think he will reference any of that? I think, you know, he may well refer to them as he did in his first public address the day after he became king. And he talked about, um, you know, his love for them. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. We may hear something along those lines. And of course, he met Lilibet for the first time this year. So that will have been a moment of great joy for him. But a lot of things have happened since then. So we'll have to wait and see. Do you think we'll get a sneak peek of the speech? They never. So the Queen's speech only ever leaked once, to my knowledge. As some of you may have heard me observe, it has indeed been a sombre year. A journalist at the Sun newspaper got hold of a copy of it and they printed it and it caused absolute chaos and since then it's been one of the most tightly guarded secrets uh, in journalism every year this is recorded imagine by a very small group of people and nothing comes out until it goes out on tv so we'll have to wait and see on Christmas we'll have Day. to wait and see there's one way to get out of washing up isn't it yeah so. sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much for joining us emily thank you so much for having me that was really fun Right, our next guest is one of those privileged people that Emily mentioned, who was allowed to be in the room with the Queen as she filmed her Christmas speech. Here with me today is photographer John Stilwell, who captured Her Majesty over the years, delivering her most important message. Whatever your own experience is this year, wherever and however you are watching, I wish you a peaceful and very happy Christmas. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? Good. It's an honour to have you here. I feel like you're a bit of a mystery. I've been doing lots of research and I haven't seen many, many interviews uh, that you've done to talk about royalty. And I'm just really, really eager to ask you so many questions. I know. Are you ready? I don't actually (laughs) self-promote myself for interviews. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see. You were a PA photographer for 30 years and you photographed the royal family through most of those. From Princess Diana and the Young Princess to Kate and Meghan joining the royal family. You've been on countless tours and endless royal engagements. And you've also witnessed very, very special and intimate family moments. You've gone to Afghanistan and photographed Harry. You photographed Prince George's first birthday photos at the Natural History Museum. William and Kate's family photo shoot in the snow. But you're retired now. You've I been, am retired, yeah. You've been retired for three years. Do you miss your life as a royal photographer? I miss doing the royals and I miss doing some of the jobs. Not all of them were stunning. And I don't think people realise that a lot of the jobs that you do, something like a film premiere, if you're outside, you have to be there early in the morning and stay there all day take a picture of the royal family arriving and that arrival might last seconds and you might have waited all day to take that one picture and then you find that you're in the wrong spot you should have been five or six foot to the left or right and you don't get a good picture that is soul destroying it's part of the job so you're obviously here to talk about Christmas for yep. our first um, launch episode. And you stood out as an obvious choice because you photographed the Queen delivering her Christmas message. How did that honour come about? Well, because Press Association is the national press agency, we work closely with the palace. We have an office at the palace and we report and photograph most things that go on at the palace that are of press interest. So I would go sometimes to work, 
going to Buckingham Palace, being here all day, photographing the Queen and other members of the royal family if there's a reception or an investiture ceremony. And because the Press Association has worked with closely with the Royal Palace for so long, we are sort of accepted as being okay to be there. I looked back at the photos and at the beginning, I think from 2009 to 2013, she used to do her pictures standing up in front of a tree. And then she adopted a more, a new style, her sitting at a desk. Yeah. (laughs) Sitting at a desk, showcasing family pictures that, you know, some of them might have been new to the public. Is that something that you had any saying in? Nothing. Not at all. Not at all. That was all set up by the production team. So they would go to the palace maybe a day or two before the recording. They would set up the tree. They would decorate the table. Obviously, if there was something that the Queen didn't like, she would probably have it removed or turned around so people couldn't see it. But the family pictures were an integral part of the Christmas message, I think. Yeah. And with her, it was always a case of Christmas is a family time and this is my family. Was she collaborative during your time together? Yeah, yeah, she was. I mean, they would record it, and it's normally two weeks before Christmas. She would come in, she would obviously know the line. She had an auto cue, so she would read from an auto cue. And she always done it first time, never made a mistake. She was good. She was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Years of practice, I suppose. But um, once that was finished, then the camera that filmed her making the speech would be taken away, and I'd take up exactly the same position, so you got the same view, and take her picture. And I'd only be seconds taking it. I'd say, this way... If Look straight at the camera, your majesty, little smile, which you always did. She knew what to do anyway. Yeah. And she was fine about it. And you witnessed her recording the message. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how incredible is that? Do you realise how incredible that is, that you were one of the very few privileged people to witness the Queen recording her Christmas messages for nearly 10 years? I never realised until you just said that. <laughs> it, just... it is quite strange, isn't it, to think oh, yeah. I saw most of those being recorded. Live. You didn't have to wait for Christmas Day. I didn't have to wait for Christmas Day, (laughs) although I still watched it. But I say she's just one take. I mean, there's a lot of of actors can't do it in one take. Maybe they haven't got all that cue. I don't know. They're sitting down. But behind the scenes, there will be a group of maybe 15, 20 people with production team. So they'd have someone operating the auto cue, cinematographer filming it. It was always the same person. That was Peter Wilkinson. And she would just come in. Sometimes they would just have to adjust her hair or her makeup adjust the seating fractionally. They get it right, they practice it with someone who stood in for the Queen beforehand. And then when she was ready, they they record it. And it's all normally one take, rarely two. I did see one recording and I thought the producer was a little bit like, I've got the Queen under my control and he sort of asked her to do some sentence again. Oh no. She said it was a bit mumbly. Oh you yeah. don't tell the Queen that her sentence is a bit mumbly. mumbly no. She knows what mumby is. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he said that, and I think it was just a little bit of, you know, get her to do it again. Yeah. She was fine about it. I mean, I can't recall the Queen ever making any public statements, speeches, where she's made a mistake. No. Was she fun during your time together, or was she just like, she was just getting the job done, you know, doing her speech in and out? Or what, you know, did you see another side of the Queen? It was a job doing the Christmas broadcast, but it was a job I think she enjoyed doing. She was quite interested in the technology. I don't know when the auto cues started to come in, so whether she read from a script or memorised it, I don't know. There was one where they'd done a 3D one. Yes. Yeah, and she was quite interested to see what it looked like with 3D. So there's a picture of her with 3D glasses on, looking at the screen. She's quite baffled by it, I think. It's like, you can see like other, you know, when you look at 3D, 
it's totally different from anything else. Yeah. I think it was magnified to make the effect look more impressive. But it actually backfired because people used to go to the cinema, came out with a terrible headache, and they're going to go <laughs> see another 3D film in their life. Have you ever received a Christmas present from the Royal Family? No, don't expect one, no. Well, they're, they're, you know, people that work for them get them. Oh, yeah. If you could have ex- they could have extended, you know, some of those gifts to you yeah. guys for your support. One of my Rolls Royces they used to try. One of those, nice, yes, that would have been really good. How do you think this year's, how yeah. do you think this first Christmas message will be? I think you do a very good job. I think you'll recall a lot about his mother and the work she'd done and how he's got to following the footsteps. Don't think he'll mention much of the family. That's a subject you probably steer clear of, I think. But it'll be interesting to see, actually, if it changes yeah. much. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. Did you photograph the royal family in any other Christmas setting? Only Sandringham. Sandringham, that would have been Christmas Day. Christmas Day, yeah, going to That you church. were away a lot from your family on Christmas Day to capture the royal? There were several years where I completely missed Christmas Day with my children when they were younger. I would and go out early in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, drive out to Sandringham, get back about 5 in the afternoon. Because once you've taken the pictures, yeah. that's not it. That's only half the job. Then you've got to send them. Edit them, caption them, send them to London, to the office, so they could be sent around around the world. Do you think the royal family, did they ever thank you, acknowledge that all these people were there on Christmas Day? Not really, but then we didn't expect it. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of public there that have been there all night. They, they weren't paid to be there. I think, you know, yeah. rightfully so, they took more notice of them and sort of with them more than us scallywags in the press. <laughs> Uh, obviously, you photographed the royal family throughout the whole year. Did you feel like there was a shift towards December? Like there were more, like would the Queen be more feeling more festive, more happy? Did you feel like things were different? No, I didn't recall her being different, but I do know that she really looked forward to Christmas as Andrew. I suppose to get all the family together, like most families. She enjoyed doing the recordings, I think, once it was done. You could see her relax a little bit more. And then she knew it was countdown. Yeah, party. Two, two weeks-ish, and yeah. then I'll go to Sandringham. Did the Queen ever wish you a Merry Christmas? Yes. After the recording, she normally done it, and she used to, the first few years, she would do the Christmas recording, and then he'd leave for Sandringham, or it would be quite soon after. And I remember a couple of times walking, there's an area, if you're looking at Buckingham Palace to the right, it's where a private flats was, an yeah. apartment, and you could drive in there, and... There's steps there that come from the drive or where a car would be into that side door and then it would be a lift taken up to a private apartment. Very small lift. And a couple of times myself and Peter Wilkinson would be walking past that area and she'd come out. We knew she was due to come out because there would be a footman there sort of saying, hang on a sec, the Queen's coming. As she'd come out, we'd wish her Merry Christmas and she'd return the compliment. I wish you all a very happy Christmas. Thank you so much, John. It's Honestly, it's been a pleasure. It's Thank been a you. pleasure recording. And Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you <laughs> too and a Happy New Year. Oh, that is such a great chat. I'm so sorry that I missed that. It's the season of forgiveness, Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> I was very under the weather, so I, but I, I would definitely want to meet John again in the future because he sounds so interesting. I can't believe the stories that he had, especially about the Queen being told about stammering. That is just, that's really shocking. I know. Who dares to tell the Queen that she mumbles? But hey, we'll definitely be hearing more from John. So you'll catch up with him next time for sure. Okay, good. And now, once again, you are heading off somewhere very exclusive. I wasn't invited. I'm not offended at all. 
Windsor Castle. Yes, I'm off to one of my favourite palaces to talk to Catherine Jones. She's the Royal Collection Trust Curator and we're going to be talking about Christmas decor, Christmas trees and so much more. Catherine, welcome to A Right Royal Podcast. Thank you. Tell us a bit about yourself so our listeners know who Catherine is. Yes, well, I am Catherine Jones and I work in the decorative arts team. So I work with all the 3D objects in the Royal Collection and I've worked for the Royal Collection for over 20 years. So we're talking Christmas today, which is like my favourite subject <laughs> ever. And I, we're in the grand reception room, which leads to St George's Hall, which has an incredible 20-foot Christmas tree. That's right, yes. I want to know, how far in advance do you start playing? planning Christmas? Well, we usually start planning in the middle of the summer, in fact. So it's very un-Christmassy. We're all sitting around in the in the hot sunshine um, talking about which tree we're going to select and what type of decorations we want to use. Obviously, this year it's been a little bit different. Uh, there's been a bit more disruption, but we've still managed to put together our trees. So we're very, very pleased with that. Have you made any changes or is the original plan... Um, what it is today. The general themes are the same as they were, um, so we, we've just carried on. <laughs> Before getting the plans going, is there someone who has the final say? Is that person you? It's not me. We have There's a committee of curators and members of our exhibitions team who work together and we make decisions about what sort of trees we want, where we want to place them, and also if we want to have a table. So obviously we've got a Christmas table set up. This year it's in uh, the Waterloo Chamber where it hasn't been for over 10 years, so that's quite nice. That's incredible. How long does it take to set up everything? It's taken us about three days. Uh, that's excluding, obviously, going into the Windsor Great Park to select the trees and, and bring them up to Windsor. But the actual decorations and the setting up of the table, that took about three days altogether. So quite a big team working. I, I saw a video on Twitter that you shared about choosing the tree. Like, how long does it take to find the perfect tree? I think the people in the park are aware of, you know, obviously in St George's Hall we need a really large tree, so they've obviously got a couple in mind before, before they say, go out, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk ornaments. How old mm. are they? Or do you just keep getting new ones? They're not um, historic ones. Actually, we don't have very many historic decorations actually in the Royal Collection, so um, they tend to be um, newly supplied, although some of these have appeared in years before, but we try and vary it a little bit each year. So this year, for example, example in St George's Hall we've got purple ribbon on the tree and that's a new a new innovation Very for this year. Purple. Yes it looks <laughs> lovely actually. <laughs> Is there a favourite that you always keep like sneaking in? Uh, no I mean obviously in the crimson drawing room we've got crimson or red yes. decorations and um, so those come back each year because everyone always loves that tree. Why does the main tree feature in St George's Hall? Like how long is that tradition? How far is that tradition? It's not a long tradition, but obviously the St George's Hall is the biggest room in the castle. So it makes a really impressive impact for our visitors when they come in and see this 20 foot fur. It in is front gorgeous. Of them. It is true. Like when I walked in, it was wow. <laughs> um, I've been looking back at Royal Christmases mm. and Prince Albert obviously introduced Christmas trees back then, but he had them on top of tables. Is that something that just has never like carried on in the last years? I know you did a special. I think we tried to recreate yes. it a few years ago it's um yeah I mean I think that the German tradition was very much that you 
don't have a huge tree. It's, it's quite a small tree and it would be placed on a table. Or some years they took the chandeliers down and hung them from the ceilings. Okay. We've also tried to do that. It's quite tricky. <laughs> it was more complicated than we realised. Um, and sometimes they had artificial trees, actually, which um, certainly Queen Victoria Osborne had artificial trees. But then they would the presents at that date weren't wrapped. So some of the children's presents would be placed among the branches. Well, that's the very sustainable, like sustainability. Yes. I like that. Yes. <laughs> How many trees in total do you put up? in Windsor Castle? So this year we've got eight on display for our visitors, um, including, of course, the huge one in St George's Hall, but there are others scattered around the castle as you as you walk around. Now, I've seen, I've looked back at images, obviously, before, you know, as I did research to, to have our chat, and I see there's this, like, special angel at the top of the tree, and it kind of always makes an appearance, but I haven't found any information about this angel. Can you tell yes. me about it? It's not actually part of the Royal Collection. That's supplied by the florist who helps us with the decoration so he actually made that especially for the Windsor tree but is it made especially every year or is it no it's been it's a it may as you said it makes a reappearance each year but um, he made it especially for the first year we had the enormous fur how many people does it take to put up all these decorations well amazingly it was only four, it was a team of four who did all the trees and then another team of three who worked on the Christmas table I'm assuming there's always one that's looking from far away. Move that to the left, that's to the right. right. Yeah, someone who's yes, making sure it looks you know pretty when it's finished. And who takes care of the tree once it's up? Does it does it need any work? Well, the housekeeping team here keep an eye on on things just to make sure you know things haven't dropped off or, or the branches aren't sagging too badly. Um, but you know, on the whole, it's not it's not too bad here. In the past, has the monarch made finishing touches to the tree? Has or not no these trees are very much for the you know for our visitors for so so the, the 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 monarch doesn't get involved with these now it takes three days you said to put up the decorations how long to take them down it's much quicker obviously because we're not so worried about which where the precise <laughs> uh, placing of the of the baubles are or how you know how long it's going to take the light so it's usually about two days to take it away but I, i've read that it doesn't go down until february is that right this one will be on display until uh, mid-january and then we have the castle actually closes for two weeks for, because we do conservation cleaning yes. and uh, so that's an ideal time for us to take so away the, the decorations. family and not superstitious because I'm like fifth of Jan <laughs> down it goes because that's kind of like what is supposed to happen. It's not yes we obviously for us it's it's helpful if the visitors aren't here so we can just get on with it. Of all the residents which one is the most festive one? Well, I think Windsor, obviously, we focus on, but we have got also decorations up in Holyrood. And um, and then, of course, the royal family will have their personal decorations um, at Sandringham. What happens to the tree once it goes down? Well, the trees are all recycled, which is great. So they will be used in the Windsor Home Park. Uh, they're taken away by the gardeners and recycled. I've read that the Queen used to give out Christmas trees to people in Windsor. Is that something that you're involved in or is it just no, great that's, Park? No, that's a tradition that goes back to Queen Victoria. So uh, Victoria and Albert were the first ones really to introduce, popularise the Christmas tree in that way. She started the tradition of handing out trees to the local barracks and, um, and schools, I think. Um, so that and that's obviously become a tradition incredible thank you so much thank for having you. us <laughs> oh i'm so jealous next time we get an invite to windsor castle i am going it's my turn it sounds like you had the most amazing morning i did i really did it is stunning stunning in person 
So to round up all things Christmas, we are joined by the ultimate chef. She's cooked for Charles, Diana and Princess William and Harry as they grew up. And we're discussing all things festive food at the palaces. Yes, I'm so excited. Welcome to the podcast, Carolyn. Thank you. We're so excited to have you here and talk all things Christmas food, Christmas drink. Brilliant. I'm excited too. (laughs) First of all, tell us how you began working for Prince Charles and Diana at the incredibly young age of 21, I believe. (laughs) I studied my cooking at a wonderful cookery school, Tompery School of Cookery. And from there, I got a position cooking for the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, who were at Kensington Palace. Um, and I cooked for them for a couple of years. So we were just a few hundred yards away from where Prince Charles, as he was then, Princess Diana, um, William and Harry were living. And I was very fortunate. They came for dinner with the Gloucesters one evening. Um, so I had the opportunity to cook for them. And at that time, Prince Charles was looking for a female chef, having previously only had male chefs. Um, he was forward thinking as ever in, in all areas. So I really was in the right place at the right time. Did that dinner that you made when they came around to visit feel like a bit like a job interview? I mean, did you did you cook for your well, life? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd always really wanted to cook for them. Um, so yes, I, I made it sure it was the best it could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. um, I believe you had a, a trial with them at Highgrove. Do you remember how that day went? I do, yes. Initially, I had an interview with Princess Diana at Kensington Palace. And then after that, I went down to Highgrove to cook dinner for both of them. And by that point, having spoken to Princess Diana, I knew this was a job that I really badly wanted. I can't imagine actually going to a job interview where you're being quizzed by the the Princess of Wales. That must have been... I mean, how was she? Was she she nice? She was amazing. I was waiting in the kitchen with with the chefs um, for the interview and she came into the kitchen and picked me up and we walked back to her study. And one of the first things she said to me was... I don't think I'm very good at interviews, but I'm sure you must have a lot of questions for me. And instantly I thought, this is fine. This is going to be okay. But I think that was one of the things she did best, wasn't it? Was was putting people at ease. So moving on to Christmas, you travelled obviously with the family all the time up and down the residence. Uh, Did you also go with them during Christmas? How, How was Christmas? No, I didn't actually work at Christmas itself. Her Majesty the Queen would always entertain the whole family, either at um, Windsor Castle or at Sandringham. So she had her brigade of chefs. So I was always fortunate. I usually finished on Christmas Eve when the family left to join the Queen. Um, But December was always a a really busy month. Um, Their Royal Highnesses did a lot of entertaining. Obviously, they're patrons of many, many charities and organisations. So I think they made sure that there was a Christmas gathering for pretty much everyone during December. So it was a lot of entertaining, a lot of canapes. <laughs> and what was in the menu for those? I guess your menu changed in December, it became more festive? Yes, December was definitely more sort of wintry things. Well, pheasant and game were, were featured quite prominently. Beef, high-grove lamb, um, not a lot of turkey, but things were made festive just and just by the nature of the, the beautiful produce that we had. It was the way it was presented as much as anything. It wasn't necessarily... Um, roast turkey or um, any of the very Christmassy dishes, but certainly in the presentation, it was made to look very festive. I've really got a vision of um, Harry and Will, like little little boys making gingerbread with you. Was that ever a thing? Did you ever make Christmassy treats with them? We did. We did lots oh. of baking. They both really enjoyed that. Yes. So Christmas treats and biscuits and meringues. And they liked the savoury things too. They were both very good in the kitchen, very able. I'm sure they still are. <laughs> 
Do you remember them having an advent calendar? Was that something that you did with them? Like, or did you bake any special Christmas cakes? No, we didn't bake Christmas cake as such. Um, advent calendars they probably had, but they yeah. would have been the other side of the Green Bay's door. <laughs> yeah. Just in general, sort of very festive. And they'd help with lots of cooking. Obviously, they'd be on holiday Christmas. So yeah. they'd quite often come into the kitchen and just help in general, which was lovely. Before Christmas, did you get a special gift, a personalised, you know, something for Christmas? Do you remember it being a, any nice presents? I do, yes. The, the, their all highnesses were always very generous and we always had a wonderful Christmas present from them. And then in addition to that, we were taken out for an amazing Christmas lunch. The staff must have numbered almost 100 people at that point. So that was always an enormous treat. I remember going to the Ritz one year and going to Spencer House another year. So that was a huge treat. And then we were, we were given a Christmas gift at that Christmas lunch. So what were the gifts? What did you get? They were usually something personalised. I've got a beautiful tray that has one of the paintings that His Royal Highness had done. So, you know, he's an amazing watercolour yeah. artist. Wow. So I had that on, some lovely glasses, some little coffee cups in the style of the, the Highgrove sort of pottery, um, ceramics, china. Um, so lovely things like that. Beautiful silver photo frame. So very special that. and personal. Do yes. you do you use them or are they just like carefully put away, not getting damaged? The trays used for special occasions. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I keep them. I've still got everything very, very carefully taken care of. <laughs> and lovely Christmas cards as well. We always had a, a signed Christmas card. You often see in the media the, the uh, sort of official Christmas card that they're doing for that year. So I've got a wonderful collection of those. So that's very special too. Oh, that's lovely. Um, going back to hosting at their house, do you remember, you know, big family dinners or lunches? Do you remember the setup? Did the kids like sit down with the adults? Did they have a special kids table? Um, there wasn't a huge amount of um, sort of big family gatherings at Highgrove or at Kensington Palace. And the reason for that was there are a lot of occasions when the family all get together, um, Christmas, Easter, Trooping of the Colour, Remembrance Sunday, all those occasions when the family are all together. So those were the times when they tended to get together. But certainly um, meals always included the children, all one big table and, and it was always very inclusive. It was always sort of the whole family eating together. And when they did, it was the same menu for everybody. No special food for this one and that one. Oh, that's Everyone lovely. sat down and had the same food, which was really nice. And I imagine you had freedom at these residents. Like, do you remember Christmas time, like Christmas trees? Do you remember them uh, decorating the Christmas tree with their parents? You know, William and Harry, do you remember? Do you have any memories from Christmas time? I do. I can't remember who decorated the Christmas tree. That was sort of front of the house. We were in the back of the house in the kitchen. But yeah, the, the house was always beautifully decorated and the boys would certainly have had a hand in that. And Princess Diana, definitely. Do you have a favourite memory from your time there? Oh, there's so many. And what, what's so lovely is they're so varied. I loved doing the sort of the very big um, banquets. We did some wonderful charity fundraisers at Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle. And you can't ask for a more amazing venue to, to work in. But I think what I probably loved the most was cooking just for the family. I remember we had a couple of summers when we travelled to the Scilly Isles, to Tresco Island, and it really was just a, it was just the four of them. It was a very small gathering. And yes, just to be there with them and um, cooking, sort of making egg sandwiches for them to take out for a picnic lunch and those simple things of just having the time to do the best you could possibly do, even if it was very simple. I think if you're in a hotel or a restaurant, it's always a slightly different way of, 
of doing things, but there it was lovely on occasion to be able to sometimes even spend the whole day just preparing a meal for the four of them. So that was, that was very special. And the fact, as I say, that the boys were in and out of the kitchen and you might bump into King Charles if you went down to the vegetable garden to pick a handful of basil or mint or something and Princess Diana popping in and out. So it's those those personal memories that are, are very special and, and are a wonderful contrast to the some of the large and extravagant things we did and things like being on the Royal Yacht Britannia as well. We were in Hong Kong for the handover there. So some amazing historic events as well, which contrast beautifully. Oh, I bet. How old were, the, were William and Harry when you stopped working with them? They were 15 and 18. So you'd re- you really saw them coming in and becoming really who they are now because, you know, at 18. Yes. Yep. William was just finishing school. Harry was still at school. So, yes, it's such an enormous privilege to be there through those years. How was it? Because uh, I guess you stayed after Princess Diana passed away. I was there for a couple, a few more years after she passed away. How yes. was that transition for you, really, for the family? Oh, it was, it's so difficult to describe. It was surreal. Yeah. Um, it was I... just so hard to believe and incredibly sad. And I just think they all carried themselves amazingly through that time. There, There is no... Nothing more difficult, nothing more tragic, nothing more sad, but they they were so amazing. And it was nice to be able to be there and, and support in the, the very smallest way. A, a food can be very comforting, healing, very yes. comforting. A huge part, um, yeah. So, yes, just you sort of do what small part you can, but, but so sad. And as I say, I think surreal is really the only word to describe it because it was just impossible to believe what had actually happened. Yeah, I can imagine. I just wonder, yeah. there's so many stories that we write about or we read about being, you know, certain banned foods. Is there such thing as a banned food for royals? Because I remember, I think there's a story that how they can't eat shellfish or in case, you know, of being allergic to something. Like, was there ever a food that you did not cook or you could not cook or an ingredient that you couldn't um, use? They weren't, well, foie gras, obviously. We yeah. never go anywhere near that. Um, why, why obviously? Go- why, why couldn't they <laughs> foie gras? Because of the way the animals are treated. In order for the livers to grow so huge, the animals are force-fed. Oh, God. Uh, I don't think I knew that. Sorry. (laughs) So Yes, that was one thing that because um, Prince Charles being so hot on animal husbandry and obviously um, everything being organically produced. So that was one thing. We didn't have a lot of lobster and caviar and all those kind of extravagant foods. It was much more what was local, what was in season, what was on the estate. And the one thing we used very sparingly was garlic because they never wanted to breathe garlic fumes on members of the public who they're with all the time so we were careful with garlic and raw onion um but other than that no there weren't really weren't really many i love garlic just personal taste garlic (laughs) is so nice (laughs) did you bake their birthday cakes do you remember you know oh yes when they were little when they were little they certainly challenged us i remember police motorbikes and helicopters and yes all sorts of very elaborate little boy things Oh my god! Police cars and yes, I love that. Who um, who was that request by the kids or the parents? No, the boys would choose what they'd like to have. Really? Yeah. So that was always great fun. That was a bit of a team effort because they tended to be quite elaborate. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but great fun. I loved that. I loved cooking. For, love cooking for children. Um, and you've written two books. Have you added your royal favorite recipes to them? Um, I've done three books actually. Oh, now, three books. But... Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Um, the first one is a collection of 100 recipes, just my favourite things. Um, yep, some of them are sort of reference to my time cooking for the royal family. 
And then I did an afternoon tea book, which came out earlier this year, and I've just had a, done a Christmas book. And yes, a lot of the my most favourite things are things that I cooked when I was with the family. So definitely. <laughs> I mean, I would I would be really into the idea of buying King Charles's favourite recipes as a recipe book. I mean, did you ever like keep a diary of like, this is his favourite, he likes this, Diana likes this? I didn't keep a diary as such. We had a, a menu book so that the menus for each day were written in there. So there was sort of reference being more than one chef. So you'd found you didn't give them shepherd's pie two days in a row. Mm. <laughs> um, and that little book was used for them to select what they'd like to eat as well. So menu suggestions were written in there. And from that, they would select what they wanted to eat. Didn't keep a diary as such, but I certainly remember some, a lot of the favourites. Certainly risotto was one of the... Oh my God. The so- great fallback and standbys. We did um, quite a lot of Italian cooking and I was incredibly fortunate because each summer... Prince Charles would send me to Italy or France for two or three weeks to work in restaurants there. So to learn the really authentic way to make gnocchi and fresh pasta and ravioli and all those things. Oh my God, that's so that incredible. Yeah, and then spend some time in Provence as well. So that that kept me inspired and I think it worked for them as well. Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. Thanks for chatting. Not at all. Lovely chatting to both of you. What an incredible woman and what an amazing career she's had. Yeah, I definitely need to get lunch now. No foie gras for you. (laughs) Or or garlic or onion. (laughs) So that's everything from us today. Thank you so much to all of our guests and to you two for joining us. Have a wonderful Christmas and we'll be back in the new year where we'll be chatting all things about Prince Harry's book Spare. So don't forget to subscribe now. In the meantime, catch more from Hello with our news and entertainment show, The Daily Lowdown, available on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcasts. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! <laughs>